You know, uh, social networking has uh, taken our world by storm in the last 15 or so years. Uh, For many today, it's hard to even imagine a world without Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or a host of other social media uh, or social networking apps. According to smartinsights.com, there are over 3.7 billion internet users in our world, 2.7 of which are active social media users. So that means of the 7.4 billion people that call, well, this world home, um, that half of them have a connection to the internet and a third of them have an outlet to social media. And the social media user is only on the rise, up 20%. A half a billion people in one year have added into the social media network. It's hard to fathom the statistics uh, of internet use and social media use uh, when you think about things like the fact that 11% of the world still has no access to clean water or is suffering from chronic hunger. Social media has drastically changed the way we think about this world. There was once a time where news on the other side of the world, well, it wouldn't reach us for days, weeks, maybe even months, right? I mean, just think about it like this. A hundred years ago, America, as well as many other countries, were in the throes of World War I. And a battle that may have been won or a life that may have been lost wasn't heard about until weeks later. Now we can, today, just pop open our phone, <laughs> we'll look at, look at, do a couple of little things, hit a button, and we can be connected via FaceTime with just about anybody anywhere in the world with one quick swipe. As much as we all understand, though, the positive effects of being able to communicate so quickly and with uh, so many uh, through social networking, I think we also understand that there's some flaws to the, the social media, Right? Now, as we uh, look at this, there's a Reader's Digest study about the five negative ways that social media affects you. I found these interesting. The first was this, that they make us spend more money. You know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, right? You've been on Amazon late one night. You've looking up that new whatever it is gadget that you want, and you decide, no, I don't need it. And then the next morning, you get on your Facebook, and there on the, the live feed is, it's that same thing you were looking at, and it's, it's offered now for a discounted price, and it makes you want to go ahead and buy it. Or it said that it uh, that not only makes us spend more money, but it also uh, it alters our appetites. Uh, thanks for taking pictures of your awesome meals, right, at the Japanese steakhouse down in Evansville. Uh, it makes me want to go to the Japanese steakhouse, right? That's how it works. It messes, though, with our ability to think independently, they say. That uh, you would think that now we have all this information at our fingertips, so that would mean that we would have our own opinions and our own thoughts. But instead, now we are being driven to, to think the way others think because this is what they post on their social media sites. You know, it hurts our self-esteem. Now, this may be one of the more obvious ones when we think about the culture, especially with, with uh, junior high and high school students and how social media can just drastically change their worlds. But I think even in our adult lives, we, we, we often look at the posts and we wish that maybe our life was more like so-and-so's, and so it affects our self-esteem. 
but it also butchers real-life conversation. Now, I think that that may be one of the biggest issues with social networking is how it's changed, how we socialize with others. Now, according to a study done by DePaul University, which is in Chicago, there are some key issues that are surfacing in the role of social media and how it, it plays into our communication styles. One being that the social connections are not strengthened the way they could be, right? We would rather email somebody than have a face-to-face conversation with them because it's easier, right? Or, or at least text them instead of, well, instead of having a phone call to give them, allow them to hear our voice and voice inflection and how that works in a conversation. Also, we tend to only connect with the people that have our viewpoints, right? That have our, the way we think, the way we process. Well, we don't like them because their about page says this, this, and that. So we're not going to even think about following them. We're going to instead only follow the people that say what we want to say. I, I think about it like this. Social media has created for us hundreds of friends. So we have friends a mile wide, but only an inch deep, Right? In May, Mark Zuckerberg, who is the founder and CEO of obviously the largest um, and most successful social networking site, Facebook, um, spoke at Harvard University. And while he was there, he began to make this analogy, and I, I found it interesting. He said, we, are all, we all get meaning from our communities, whether they're churches, sports teams, or neighborhood groups. They give us the strength to expand our horizon, to care about broader issues. Studies have proven the more connected we are, the happier we feel, and the healthier we are. People who go to church are more likely to volunteer and to give to charity, not just because they're religious, but because they're a part of community. Now, Zuckerberg went on in his, his speech to talk about this connection and make this analogy between the similarities of Facebook and the church and Facebook's ultimate mission to, to bring the world closer together. Now, here's what I love is that Zuckerberg, who has not only connected billions of people, but has, he's made billions of dollars in the process, didn't come up with this foundational need that drives people to community, that, that we naturally want to flock to community, just like a high school boy flocks to a box of pizza, all right? We, we are naturally drawn to relationships. Zuckerberg has just packaged his, his community in an easable, easily attainable way. But, but community itself... That was foundationally built into who we are by the creator God. God created us for community. He created us to live and to breathe relationships. He created us for friendship, companionship. He created us for this togetherness. First to be together with him, with God. You get that, don't you? That God didn't just create you as if to to step back and to watch your life unfold as some sort of soap opera might. No, God created you with a relationship with him in mind. Actually, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord, and then it goes on to verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God wants to be in relationship with you. But he also intended us for relationship with one another. Right for, for six days, the creator God created, right? From the highest in the heavens to the, the depths of the sea. From the flowers of the field to the sequoias in the forest. To the, the floundering fish and the ferocious lion. God created, and each day after he created, he would look out upon his creation and he would say, it is, is good, right? 
But then God made mankind. In Genesis 1, we hear that. He made mankind in his, his image. We were created inherently with some similar desires and feelings as God himself. We are, well, we are God's prized creation, his, his Mona Lisa, his Sistine Chapel. But then God saw Adam, right? And on the sixth day, the language changed. In Genesis 2, verse 18, we hear it said like this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So for the first five days, he created and brought about this beauty of God's earth. And he saw that it was good. And then he made mankind. And for the first time, before sin ever entered the world, he said, this isn't good. This is not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. He made a, he made a helper. He made a network of people to begin to start. He made, he made us for relationship, for community. Just as God created us with relationship in mind, he still desires that for us today. Right? The, the institution of the church, not the building, right? Not the building. God's people, you, you powerfully represent our need for a community. Pop psychology, science, mainstream media, and more are only going to prove this need more and more. Social networking has just simply hijacked our internal and eternal need for relationship. There's nothing wrong with what Zuckerberg's done and how billions of people are, are flocking to it and buying in. But God intended us for something deeper than these type of relationships that are found on, on, the, on the web. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the community God intended for us has, it has a powerful purpose. It has a life-changing and life-transforming purpose. The church was created, well, it was created for social networking. It was created for, uh, for small groups. Now, hear me out. What we are doing right now is just one aspect of the church. Church is not the building. Church is the people. We said that. So when we meet to worship, when we uh, sit around a time to remember the sacrifice and communion, when we uh, spend time being equipped with the word and preaching, we are simply scratching the surface of the purpose of the church. Just as social media should not be the be-all, end-all of our relationships, this moment you are experiencing is just the same. Church is not about a service. If this is all that you experience is this Sunday morning worship, you're missing out on what the church has intended. This is the mile-wide moment. We need, to, we need to dig deeper. We need to be connected. No, God designed church for, for this. For a deeper connection. He designed us for small groups. Now, how do we know that? We know that because, because Jesus liked small groups. You know, if you read through the gospel accounts, there's, there's story after story of Jesus and how he was just a relationship type of guy. And he had some close companions. Actually, Jesus had a, a, a close-knit group of guys, Peter, James, and John. They were his best of friends. They were his, his tight niche, very, very close uh, relationships. And it teaches us something about who God is. Now, God, Jesus was God in the flesh, and when he was in the flesh, he understood that you can only have so many deep relationships. And his deepest were with these, these three men. They, they represented support and encouragement to him. 
Now you see that lived out in Mark 14. Uh, as Jesus is coming near to the end of his life, it says they went to the place called Gethsemane. Now this is the garden uh, where Jesus uh, was going at the end of his life. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. And then he said, stay here and keep watch. So Jesus, in his worst of moments, he calls on these three men in his moment of deep sorrow and deep distress. And he says, will you walk with me for a time? And he allows them to see his emotion. And then he asks them to stay and keep watch, asks them to to pray and to care for him in his troubled moment. Now, did Jesus connect with large groups of people? Absolutely. Would God be opposed to big churches? I surely don't think so, right? The early church on the very first day, all right, when, when the church was established, these, these disciples went out and they're sharing the good news of Jesus, and it said that 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000 people. And we believe that was really just the men that were accounted of during that day, so it could have been even more, more than that. So thousands of people were coming to know know who Christ was. The church got big really, really quick. Now you look out through the scriptures, you're going to hear passages about wide is the path that leads to destruction and and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And some may say, well, that means that it's going to be small numbered. I I can guarantee you this. When we get up into heaven someday, we're going to be worshiping with a lot of people. All right. There are going to be lots and lots of people there because God loves his people. The scripture tells us he wants all men to come to be saved. So we're going we're gonna to have a, a big church up there. But, but in this world, Jesus understood something. He understood our limitation in relationships. Look, while I know that some of you in this room would boast numbers like 900 plus friends on your Facebook, truth be told is I can guarantee you that if you were to die tomorrow, a vast majority of those 900 friends would probably care little. So, so really, they're just nothing more than some sort of far-reaching acquaintance. You see, Christ liked small groups. He established small groups. You see that as he establishes his disciples. It says in Mark chapter 3, Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Those 12 men became Jesus's small group, and for three years he ministered to those 12 men. You know, here at Bethany, we've, we've found that getting involved in small groups can be a great way to develop friendships, to grow spiritually. Our small groups are intentional gatherings that meet weekly in the homes throughout our community and sometimes here at our building. In a small group, you're going you're gonna to find support. You're going to find friendship. You're going to find encouragement. You're going to build some lasting and meaningful relationships with those in your group. You know, small groups are informal, but they're valuable ways to connect with the congregation and to grow as followers of Christ. And as I've studied this out, as I've been tasked with the responsibility as a staff member of the church to oversee our small group ministry, as I've studied it out, what I've loved is that as you look at what the best, about the best size of a small group is, it's 12, 12 people. Because Jesus, Jesus knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was doing when he established those 12 men. 
Now, next week, you're going to have the opportunity. And actually, next week and the week after, here on Sunday morning, you're going to have an opportunity to connect with, with small groups. So if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you, down in the fireside room just after second service and after third service, there are going to be small group leaders that have room in their small groups for more people or new groups that are going to be starting. I want you to head down there, and I want you to get connected. There's going to be coffee and donuts down there, so you can go down for that reason too. Um, but uh, connect, connect with a small group leader. And find a way to get connected in a group on a regular basis. And if you're already in a group, start marking your calendar for August the 20th because that's our kickoff Sunday for small groups. Because truth be told is this, you like small groups. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? Oh, time out. Don't put words in my mouth. I didn't say that. I don't like small groups. I'm not a people person, right? I've heard that one before. Uh, I'm not comfortable with sharing about how I feel with just any old body. Or, you know what? I'm an introvert. I've been that way, always will be that way. But truth be told is this, we all need relationships. You ask the family of Christopher McCandless, a young boy who was a self-proclaimed introvert and said he wanted to do life all on his own. So he decided to head out into the Alaskan bush all by himself. And he took a journal with him and he took some supplies and he headed out there and he found an old abandoned bus and he began to to try to live off the land. And for 112 days, he journaled of his tremendous highs and his difficult lows, but he had no one to share the moments with. And on September the 12th of 1992, Christopher McCandless was found dead. He weighed only 67 pounds and he had died due to starvation. You ask his family if you can live by yourself. You see... When we are not in meaningful and healthy relationships, we often suffer natural consequences. Now, maybe it's not death, but consequences for sure. Whether or not we realize it, isolation from relationships, they break us in all kinds of ways. You know, one former inmate of a prison who had been forced to spend some time by himself in solitary confinement said this about that practice. He said, solitary confinement does one thing. It breaks a man. Breaks his will to live, and he ends up deteriorating slowly. He's never the same person again. Adam was alone, and it was not good. Isolation from meaningful relationships causes all kinds of issues. Actually, studies show that it causes us to lose perspective, right? When we live in isolation, we lose perspective because there's not an objective voice in our life, right? There's not a voice that will kind of ground us. A voice that will will tell us, you know what, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Or, you know what, I know you're going through a great time, but let's prepare ourselves for the difficulty that may await. You know, that's why Satan, the adversary, does what he does when you're stuck in a sin issue. He, he wants to make you feel all alone, doesn't he? That's, that's why he, that, you're the only one that struggles with that. That if people knew who you really were, that he, he tries to make you feel as if nobody would care that you would be completely isolated and all by yourself. Because when he does that, he can twist into you things like anxiety and depression, suicidal thoughts. He wants to make you feel isolated. God intended us for deeper relationships. You know, the isolation can often cause health issues too. Actually, researchers have found that isolated people were three times more likely to die than those who have strong relational connections. Now, people with bad health habits such as smoking or or poor eating habits or obesity or alcohol use, but strong social ties, they said, live significantly longer than people who have great health habits but lived more isolated. 
So in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than to eat broccoli all alone. Right? I like how Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4 says it. Here's this, this conversation about life and its meaningness and its meaninglessness and what that looked like. He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. From whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We naturally understand our need for community. It's why we flock to social media. It's why we go to crowded restaurants and packed ball stadiums and busy shopping centers. As humans, we are inherently wired for this desire of relationships. No matter the civilization, it's been seen in it. No matter the religion, it can be seen. You look at the American Indians, right, and how they would have set up their tribes and set up their their small communal living areas. Their teepees were all very, very close to one another. You look at the gangs and street, street gangs and how that works and the brotherhood and the allegiance that it's had, that's because they're wired for relationships. It's even seen in how we set up our, our communities with communal spaces and neighborhoods and local gathering spots. We're wired for this. And it makes sense when we realize that we're made in the image of God. You get that, don't you? That we are just like him. We're just like God. This is my, my daughter, Eliana. Uh, and uh, She's, she's a, she gets all of her beauty from her, her mom, uh, but everything else seems to come from, come from me. Uh, she doesn't like to sit still. That's me. Uh, she likes to talk a lot. Okay, I'm a preacher. I like to talk, all right? Uh, she's quite funny. Uh, she, she, gets, she can be loud at times and sometimes is a little obnoxious. Uh, she's highly emotional and sometimes is easily overwhelmed. And she doesn't like to miss out on anything. And she's deeply passionate about the things she cares about. So there's these moments as we've seen her personality come out. As she's going to be five here in October. And as we've seen that personality just really uh, come come to that people will look at me. They'll look at her. And in a a time of quietness, they'll say, Evan, she's just like, she's just like you. You know, we are just like God. Uh, Okay, besides the sin thing, that did break some of that likeness, but, but the scripture in the Latin form, imago Dei, which means made in the likeness of God. God lives in community himself. That's found in the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is, is what? It's the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this thing that is, is distinctly three separate things, but somehow comes together as one and is completely intertwined to make one whole thing. It's something that some people have used H2O to describe, right? The H2O can be in a vapor form. Water can be in vapor form, right? Steam in the shower. It can be in liquid form, which we would drink, or it can be in the solid form of ice. So it can have three very distinct forms, but in its elemental properties, it's, well, it's the same thing. And that's somehow how the Godhead, how the Trinity works. Now, throughout Scripture, the Trinity is always alluded to. In Matthew 28, verse 19, as it talks about the mission of the church, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, here it is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
There's the Trinity for you. In John 14, verse 26, now this is talk about how the Spirit's going to work in our life as believers. Now, this is Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. There's that intertwining of the Trinity. Or even in the creation passage. Did you notice it didn't say, let me make mankind in my image? No, it said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. There's a plurality to that. So God, the Trinity, is the perfect example of community. Now, now what is experienced inside of the Trinity? We know this, that the Trinity enjoys one another. The Trinity encourages one another. They support one one another. They love one another. That Mark 9 passage is, uh, this is my son whom I am well pleased with and love. That's what it says in Mark 9. They defer to one another and they glorify one another. You see, like God in a small group, you'll find some pretty awesome ways to function as a community of people together. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience. My wife and I moved here just a little uh, less than four years ago to Washington we knew no one. We, there was nobody in this town that drew us closest families a couple hours away. We had no prior connections to, to Washington, Indiana. So the small group for us has been our lifeblood of friendship, of walking through trials and going through difficulties. They've been the people there to support us and to encourage us. They've just been people that we've got to do life with. I'm going to introduce you to a few of those people. Um, first is Aaron and Alyssa Rice. Um, they've just been people we get to enjoy together. We, we get to spend time with them. They were some of the very first people that befriended us when we came to town, and they invited us over to their house, and uh, Aaron made us uh, turkey strips from Odin Locker, all right? So you knew you were in Washington at that point, uh, and uh, we, we ate with them and had, had time watching a ball game, and we still do that on a, on a regular basis, just get to spend time and be encouraged and watch our children be raised together. They're just, they're just friends for us. You know, in a small group, you're going to be encouraged, and you're going to get to encourage others. Uh, this is uh, Justin and Annie Williams. Uh, Justin and Annie have been a, a huge encouragement to us, and we've got to do the same to them. We've actually uh, taken on the responsibility of if anything was to happen to both of them that we would, we would care for and love their, their little daughter. Um, and uh, we've got to encourage Justin this past year. Justin spent 16 weeks away from his family as he um, studied and prepared himself to be a county uh, police officer and to protect our, our county. And his wife was without him for four months, so we got to encourage her during that time frame as she raised their daughter. You know, we found support with others in, this, uh, in our small group. This is Aaron and Leslie Bledsoe. Aaron and Leslie uh, have walked through some difficult times with us, uh, and we've walked through some difficult times with them as we both desired to, to have more children, and uh, we've had some ups and some downs on that journey. Leslie is about to pop. She walked out of second service, and she said, Evan, it's today. He's coming today, or she's coming today. Uh, she's really excited, and we are with her as well. And then Aaron, I never hunted before, all right? First time I was in small group, actually, I said, did you catch a deer to somebody? And they about, they let me have it in small group, all right? I was not a hunter. I grew up in the city. So Aaron took me to hunt this, uh, this past year. I got my first deer, and it's supporting me right now because I had taco salad last night made with some deer meat that I got. Uh, they've just been a support and encouragement. And overall, our small group has just been a huge blessing to us. They've been friends. Uh, they've been people that we've got to share life with, to be encouraged by. 
my wife and I will be forever grateful for these people that have loved us and we've gotten to love them. You see, whether or not you know it, you need small groups. You were created for them. The church was built with them and the church will continue because of them. So this week, my prayer is that you'll find a small group to connect with, that you'll make plans to to go down uh, next Sunday or the Sunday after and get connected with one, that you'll be marking your calendar and preparing yourself for that. You know, that was Jesus's prayer as well. In John 17, he, he says this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. He's talking to God here. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. <laughs> that all of them may, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved, as you've loved me. You know, this right now, it's good. What you're doing right now is, is great. The, the time of corporate worship, lifting high the name of Jesus, singing songs and prayer and times of preaching. But it's just a fraction of what God intended for his church. The church is so much more than this time on Sunday morning. And when you connect with a small group, you are allowing that deeper fellowship of the body of believers to be realized in your life. So can I encourage you with this? Would you like small groups? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word.